Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, producer Annabelle Hi. Hi, team. Coming up on today's show, Sam Frost hits headlines and deactivates Instagram for all the wrong reasons. Plus, Lisa Wilkinson casts subtle shade at former colleague Carl Stefanovic. Kim Kardashian hosts SNL. Love Island debuts to uh, lacklustre ratings. And then, tis the season of Adele. The singer starred on two separate Vogue covers this week and all we want to do is talk about both of them. But first, Michelle... How was week number 403 in lockdown? (laughs) I'm feeling more positive, guys. I'm very happy for all of our listeners based in New South Wales. Congratulations, guys. Stoked for you. Cannot wait to follow very slowly in your footsteps. (laughs) I'm very excited to finally get there. Hopefully, what, end of this month, start of next month. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. I do have a recommendation. I was struggling. I was dry for recommendations. I got to last night and I was a little bit panicked because I didn't want to get on this podcast and fail the listeners. I was scrolling through TikTok and I saw two TikToks in a row where people were talking about the same Amazon documentary. Have either of you heard of the Lula Rich documentary? No, no. but this is quite funny because I did see this written in your notes and I was like, what the fuck is Lula Reich? <laughs> So I've clearly not heard heard about it at all. So this is a documentary series, a four-parter on Amazon Prime that charts the rise and the very fast fall of pyramid scheme LuLaRoe. Now, this is a business based out of America. It grew from like a home-based company to a $1 billion empire in the space of a few years. Wow. It's all about multi-level marketing schemes, about how women sometimes get pulled into them, particularly stay-at-home mothers, and how those businesses can not just become semi-cults, but also actually ruin people's lives. I highly, highly recommend it. so good. I watched three episodes in a row last night, so I'm a little bit tired. How long is each episode? Look, this is the funny thing. I don't know. What do you mean? (laughs) What? I just sat in front of my TV and it kept going and I looked at my phone and it was 11.30 at night and Mitch had been asleep in the other room and I hadn't realised for like hours. I don't know. I was I was entranced. How does that happen on a school night? I know. <laughs> that like I would put good money on that never ever happening to me before I die. Well, it's very interesting. If you get into it, stick with the first episode. By the end of the first episode, I think you'll really be on board. The thing that baffles me about this, and I don't want to come across like I feel like I'm above the LuLaRoe movement, the clothes suck. Really? They're so ugly. So when the documentary makers are talking about $1 billion in sales a year, I was looking at it being like, who is buying this shit? It's awful. I'm just looking at it now. It's not your vibe. It's not mine, but obviously it was someone. So, <laughs> What about you? How was your week? Good week. I watched Ted Lasso. Oh, you did. Oh, you were meant to. I didn't because I don't have Apple TV. Okay, that's fair. You could have used my login. <laughs> this was your homework. What do yes. you think? Ted Lasso is one of the all-time great characters. I am obsessed with him and I am deeply offended that you thought I would find it too earnest. I was hacking myself. He is ridiculous and I adore it. He is my kind of guy. We are one episode away from finishing season two and I feel like the most basic bitch getting on this podcast and saying this because everyone in the world loves Ted Lasso. I feel like you're behind the times now, Annabelle. I went to go and watch it and then I was going to sign up for a seven-day free trial and then it was like, you've already used it. So I was like, (laughs) guess is the universe telling me not to. Michelle is right though, Annabelle. You would love it. The thing is, everyone loves Ted Lasso. Everyone loves the show. Everyone loves the character. And as I was watching it with my partner, Ollie, last night, I was like, there are parts of Ted Lasso in you. And he was so <laughs> deeply offended. There are parts of Ted Lasso in Ollie. Yeah. He is Ted Lasso. He's just not, maybe... no, no, no. He's not Ted Lasso. <laughs> Let's put that on the record. He has the same, like when Ted Lasso gets in, I know we're talking about a fictional character here, but stay with me. When he enters an interaction with that like very smiley, sunny disposition, Ollie bounces into social interactions in the exact same way. he didn't like the comparison (laughs) at all. I love that comparison. Anyway, I love the show. A wonderful show. Thank you to our listeners for semi-abusing us in the comments, making me get onto this show because this will be my sort of sitcom in the background. And speaking of Jason Sudeikis, who of course does play Ted Lasso, we did run the Daddy Olympics on the Shameless Instagram account this week and Jason made it through to the semi-finals. I'm I'm so proud of him. (laughs) I have to be honest, 
I do think with the Daddy Olympics, and for those who missed it, Michelle just one evening very randomly decided to post a bunch of photos of daddies, I Celebrity guess. daddies. And I did think in part it came down to the competitions how good a photo you'd picked. Oh. So the photo you picked of Eric Banner was beautiful. And, and Eric Banner is, you know, nothing to sniff at, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to sniff at. I don't even know. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Just picturing Zara walking up to Eric Banner and sniffing him. No, 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 nothing to sniff. He would smell good. But he made it to the final and I was a little bit surprised by that. I wasn't. Eric Banner is daddy. He lives in Melbourne. Eric, if you're listening, we love you at Shameless. He didn't win though. Paul Rudd won. Paul Rudd won, which is thoroughly unsurprising. Mind you, the passion in the listeners. Some people were furious that Steve Carell, our boy, made it through to the semifinals. Oh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They've got bad taste. (laughs) It's on them. Hey, just before we get into the first segment of the show, I do have a recommendation for you. I watched Four Corners this week. Oh, Ted Lasso's not your dog. No. Ted Lasso was your wreck. That was how was my week. You recommended that last week. My week was Ted Lasso. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did watch the Sony Music Scandal on Four Corners. I don't know if you guys have seen some reporting about this around a couple of weeks ago or maybe pushing into months. I'm not quite sure. I recommended the Everybody Knows podcast Mm by 7am and that tried to kind of delve into what was going on at Sony Music and the really toxic or the alleged toxic culture there. Four Corners went one step further and basically did a whole piece on Dennis Hanlon who ran Sony for 37 years, was there for more than 50 years, which is just insane. And it's almost it, double our lifetime. <laughs> and the allegations that are put forward in Four Corners are pretty confronting, if I'm really? honest, of the culture of that place. But it also feels very much like watching that investigation that perhaps they might just be only scratching the surface. That is kind of the vibe that I get. I mean, you, you know in Australia people have got to go carefully, reporters have got to go carefully, and that was just my vibe watching it being like I feel like there's a lot more here. So if you want to know what's been going on in the music industry for a very long time and it is one of sort of the stories that have been hardest to report and hardest to crack in Australia, mm. I think, watch that Four Corners special. It's really, really good. Before we move on, I also just want to back up another recommendation you gave a couple of weeks ago. Oh, the I can't even remember the podcast name off the top of my head, but the one about Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, the dropout. The dropout. So I'm glad you back up my recommendation of Ted Lasso. I wholeheartedly back up the recommendation of The Dropout, one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. And I back up your other recommendation of the Britney <laughs> doco on Netflix. I love you. This is my <laughs> podcast here. It's just, it's just love tennis. We never play that. <laughs> How good is the Britney documentary? It's, it's incredible. I do back that up. Did you Have you watched that, Annabelle? I have not. Okay. Oh, I want to no, be a part of this love nah, fest, though. This is just a one-way tennis. It's a singles tennis match. <laughs> a unilateral love fest. No one, one quick announcement as well we do need to touch on. We are obviously having our Cocktails with Shameless live stream event tonight. Michelle, tickets are still on sale. They are basically almost unlimited. So get down, get down. I mean, (laughs) get to your TV, get to your computer. (laughs) Tickets are only $5 and all profits will go to charity. Yeah, so if you've got nothing to do tonight, hang out with us on a live stream. Don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll have some cocktails though and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to say I was on the phone, sorry, another quick sidebar, with mum last night and she said to me, how are the ticket sales going for cocktails were shameless and I said oh I haven't properly checked but like we've sold quite a few we're fine and she was like oh thank god I saw something on the Eventbrite page and I thought you'd only sold 40 tickets and I was about to cancel my zoom drinks with Mars and John (laughs) to support you and I was like we're okay but thank you also what the fuck was your mum looking at I don't know 40 and think that was I don't uh, she you know Trish we love you we love you if you want to buy tickets go to our Instagram page at shameless podcast there is a link in our bio click that buy tickets see you there can't wait Mish we are starting our first segment today with the headlines that surrounded Sam Frost we are indeed if you are an international listener or even if you're a local listener who didn't find the name Sam Frost to be familiar. Sam Frost is famous predominantly for kind of being the reason we have the Bachelorette here in Australia. So she first rose to prominence when she was a contestant on Blake Garvey's season of The Bachelor back in 2014. Very famously, he proposed to her at the finale. He then dumped her and chose, I think, second or third runner-up Louise Pillage. Sam was our golden heartbroken girl. Her story and the hugely public nature of it 
prompted Channel 10 to create The Bachelorette Australia. She was our first bachelorette. She was widely adored, went on to do breakfast radio after being The Bachelorette, and then turned that into an acting career on Home and Away. So very interesting last six, seven years for Sam Frost life. Sounds like an interesting scandal, doesn't it? Wing, wing. Nudge, nudge. Anyway, Sam Frost made headlines this week because she posted a video to her Instagram account where she, and the headlines that are phrasing this are she comes out or she came out as not vaccinated. And she said in this video, I was really hesitant about doing a video or even speaking up about this sort of thing, but I feel like it's getting to a point now in the world where there's a lot of segregation, a lot of harsh judgment, and it's taking its toll on my mental health. We will in a second get to a conversation about the use of that word segregation. She went on, it's a really hard time to be in society right now and you feel like you are less of a human and you feel like people judge you. She went on to say that she had spoken to both her psychologist and her doctor, but didn't specify that she was medically exempt from the vaccination she did continue to use language like choice. And she kind of finished by saying, what I wish leadership would look like in this country and what employers would say to their employees is you still matter and you are valued and you are not less intelligent or worthy or anything just because you've made a choice about your body. I wish there were more people who made us feel like we were less alone. What were your gut reactions to this? Because my gut reaction was, wow, I feel like there's probably a gaping chasm between how Sam Frost sees her situation and how I see her situation. Like it was very, very clear when she sat down and felt the need to do this video that she felt incredibly marginalised. She felt like she was probably like the the bottom tier of society almost. The way she was crying, the way she was very emotionally distressed. When I watched the video, it was very apparent to me that the way she sees her situation and her role in it is very much at odds to how I see her situation. Was it the same with you? For me, I couldn't help but feel annoyed, truthfully. I couldn't help but feel annoyed, particularly I think the thing that annoyed me about this video is it felt a bit frustrating because I felt like I was being gaslighted a little bit. Mm. The video itself was titled Love, Light, Empathy. And I guess that immediately tries to position anyone who disagrees with her as someone who has no empathy or no love. And it feels very much, I think, a conversation that we've had on this podcast as like a catch-all phrase at the moment that people use who are peddling misinformation, being like, be kind, be kind to me. And it's like, the kindest thing you can do right now, the most empathetic thing you can do right now is be vaccinated to protect people who are immunocompromised. So my gut feeling was annoyance because I felt a bit gaslighted to be like, just because I disagree with you does not mean I have no love, light or empathy. Yeah. So amid the commentary that came back at Sam Frost after this video, amid the backlash, she did delete or deactivate her Instagram account. So she said goodbye to half a million followers. She's built that platform for many, many years and chose to leave it entirely because of the response to this video, which was almost entirely, girl, you've gotten this a little bit wrong. Like this isn't quite nailing the tone. And also, why are you doing this video in the first place? It It was an unusual viewing experience because she was saying, I'm not vaccinated. I don't have to explain that. And my head was kind of like, but why did you feel compelled to do a video then? No one even asked. So what's forced you to go, I must put this out there, but only give 50% of the information. If you had just thought, I'm choosing this for me, this is the choice that I'm going to make. Like, why does it have to be this hugely public thing that you're then putting in the spotlight while still retracting important information that gives context? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I do want to say from the outset, I think some of the commentary I saw, not all at all, but some of the commentary I saw was a bit lazy. I think people who wanted to go for what her acting skills or whatever. And I'm like, that's just so entirely irrelevant right now that you're actually distracting from the cause. Mm. Like play the action, not the woman. I do think some of the most sound commentary and the most important commentary came from people who did want to pick up on her use of the word segregation and using that as sort of explanation for why she's feeling so lonely. Antoinette Latouf tweeted, hot tip, Sam Frost, if you want fewer people to judge you and more people to empathise with you, maybe just maybe don't use the word segregation 30 seconds into your video. This isn't 1950s Alabama, you ain't Rosa Parks. Mm. I think that in, as Antoinette said, the first 30 seconds of her video as a white woman who arguably 
in many ways hasn't been marginalised to the level that a lot of other people have to be using that incredibly ignorantly in a video where she is being a little bit ignorant about her circumstances has just got a lot of people mad. And I think we're in such a divisive time that I cannot blame anyone, particularly the people, particularly the people in healthcare right now who are turning up to work every single day and having to treat people who are making decisions like this in full PPE and having barely any breaks probably not sleeping very well and having to sit by the side of COVID patients who can't say goodbye to any family because no one's allowed in the hospital. Mm, Realistically, I think the word segregation is so hyperbolic to the point of ridiculousness. I mean, the way I see this is that if you are an unvaccinated person who currently isn't allowed to enjoy the same privileges that the vaccinated people amongst us are, is similar to smokers in restaurants, that we have smoking sections in clubs and restaurants so that those who do not make that poor health choice can be protected. And I see vaccinations to be very, very similar, that we need to carve out spaces where children, elderly people, frail people, immunocompromised people can be protected if you choose to make a health choice that the vast majority of experts deem to be a poor health choice. I want to talk a little bit. I mean, some of the commentary I saw that I kind of found to be a little bit illogical was around mental health. I did see some stuff on social media that basically said, I don't want to hear about Sam Frost's mental illness. What about the mental health of the people fighting COVID on the front line? And I totally appreciate that. But I also think it's a little bit of a non sequitur. I actually think if we're going to tackle vaccine hesitancy. And if we're going to speak to and level with people like Sam Frost, tackling the mental health side of this is more important than anything. Sam Frost is someone who has been incredibly open about struggling with depression and anxiety. And I think the way I see this and the way a lot of experts see this is that vaccine hesitancy or being anti the COVID vax is a a logical, irrational fear. And I don't really understand some of the tweets I saw that had thousands of likes were like, Will Sam Frost speak about the mental health of people fighting this? One person doesn't have to have poor mental health. Nurses and frontline staff and doctors, believe me, I see it in my own family and my own friendships, of course can be struggling mentally. But to act like Sam Frost is not struggling with irrational anxiety is a silly argument. Both things can be true. And if we don't actually speak to the anxieties of people with vaccine hesitancy, we're not tackling the issue at all. This seems to me to be a completely irrational fear. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good point. I think it's like both of these kinds of mental health struggles can absolutely be true. That said, I think one thing that's important to put on the record is it's like not everyone who struggles with mental health is going to be COVID hesitant. And a lot of people won't want to be like, well, I struggle with my mental health and I can still make this decision. Mm. But I totally agree with you. It is one of those kind of irrational rational blown up fears in her mind. And Sally Rugg, the commentator, had some really wonderful tweets about this. She said, I think this is a very informative, valuable insight into how anti-vax and hesitant people think and feel. We should want to understand this fear so we can tackle it. And I think that is bang on. Like the stuff that annoyed me was the stuff that just went really, really low Mm. and attacked her as a person. And I'm just like, is that the relevant point here? Or is the point here, if we can see past our anger, if we can see past our annoyance, if we can see past the fact that yes, we are being a little bit gaslighted, that the end goal is that we want as many people to be vaccinated as possible. And the way to do that is to actually understand why they think the way that they do. Coming up after the break, Lisa Wilkinson casts subtle shade at former colleague Carl Stefanovic. And then it is the season of Adele and all we want to do is talk about her. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, the middle names are back. (laughs) Is that the middle name itself? No, no. We heard from so many listeners. The demand for us to bring back middle names was intense. I'm going to go with today, Zara dating a younger version of Ted Lasso McDonald. You won't believe this. That was the one I had in my mind as well. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> what I, do, I actually do really need to put on the record that he's not actually that much like Ted Lasso. It's a huge compliment. Hey, uh, yeah, but Ted's a bit annoying sometimes too. Is he going to like grow a moustache? Uh, no, I, I hope not. <laughs> my first story. Lisa Wilkinson opens up about Carl Stepanovic and how she found out she lost her job on Today. That is from news.com and my goodness, what an interesting interview this week. So for those who missed it, 
the project host Lisa Wilkinson sat down with her co-host Hamish McDonald for the project to discuss her upcoming memoir, Mish. It's called It Wasn't Meant to Be Like This and she said some interesting things. Yeah, I was watching this live as it happened, which never happens for me with free-to-air television, number one. But I was so entranced and excited by this interview. I was live texting you every, like, meaningful quote. I was like, oh, my God, you have to watch this because the interview... I found it to be incredibly powerful and incredibly, incredibly candid. Yeah, it was wonderfully candid, truthfully. So one of the core things that a lot of people are interested in in the story of Lisa Wilkinson is her exit, her highly publicised exit from the Today Show. Now, she left the Today Show in October 2017. She sent out a tweet on the evening of her firing and didn't turn up to work the next day. That was it, her last show. She wasn't given an opportunity to say goodbye. And this is what she said about finding out of her contract not being renewed. The call from your agent telling you that Channel 9, the Today Show, was over. What were you doing? I was standing in aisle six at Woolies holding a can of tuna. I felt stupid and humiliated and betrayed and pretty pathetic. For the record, you were effectively dismissed. So, Mish, Lisa also said that she thought the idea of her dismissal was to humiliate her, and that's a quote, because she had been in negotiations to try and close the pay gap between her and her co-host of 10 years, Carl Stefanovic. Yeah, so she also said, I was very expendable and went on to explain that the pay gap between her and Carl doesn't get much bigger than what she experienced. I mean, the minute that she says something like that, like it doesn't get much bigger, all I've got is like numbers in my head and I'm like, but I want to know what it was. Well, I've got percentages. Doesn't get much bigger gives me the impression that it was almost double. That's what I thought. I thought straight away, if it doesn't get much bigger, it has to be close to double. But again, that's purely our speculation. I mean, when she was asked directly about Carl, she said to Hamish, we're not really in touch. And sort of he pushed a little bit more and she said, look, I don't really want to talk about this, but... I was hurt. Mm. And I thought it was really interesting because there was on the record in that interview footage of her saying, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, I don't want this included. I don't want us to play this. And then it was played. So (laughs) naturally everyone's like, okay, well, obviously Lisa has given the tick of approval for this interview. This is her show as well. There's no way they're going to do this behind her back. But what editing was kind of done to make that included? Yeah, I found this to be a really fascinating narrative device, I would say, to include because by Lisa saying... I don't want us to air this. She instantly comes across as the dignified, respectful one in the room, the classy one. But at the same time, for her to be as clear as I was hurt gives everyone the information they need to know. It is a masterclass in getting your message across while still looking like the dignified person in the room. Yeah, and you can look at that in two ways. You could look at that as that was a very deliberate thing to do or you could look at it and say, well, maybe Hamish McDonald kept pushing about the Carl thing. She eventually did say that. They actually did cut a lot of it out and use that snippet much earlier Mm. and she kind of gave the tick of approval in that sense. I mean, it's really interesting because there were certainly rumours after her departure at Today that those two weren't talking, that there was a lot of friction and their relationship was totally fractured. But then they would come out and like go out for lunch together and take selfies together. Yeah, this is fascinating as well, because I was surprised for her to give people the impression that Carl Stefanovic maybe didn't fight for her in the same way that other male co-hosts have fought for their female partners in the past. For example, like, Carl Stefanovic got up on this show for an entire year and wore the same suit and then did all this publicity about it under some like feminist guise that he's like, people always write about what Lisa Wilkinson is wearing. I wore the same suit for a year. No one wrote a thing. Feminism, feminism, (laughs) feminism. But according to Lisa's account, he clearly hurt her in some way in the negotiation of trying to get her pay to be comparable to his. That's potentially a deviation away from what we've seen from other men in the media landscape here in Australia. We know that Dave Hughes fought for his pay. He took a pay cut to be on the same pay as Kate Langbrook, his radio co-host for many, many years. We even know that Carl Sanderland. I know. 
That for Jackie to be on the same pay as him and refuse to go on air, literally told the radio station, I will not be on this show until you pay her what you're paying me. Yeah, and I think if Carl Sanderlands can do that, then every single man in the country can do that. It's actually interesting you mentioned Carl Sanderlands because Carl Stefanovic was on the Carl and Jackie O show today and was asked about this memoir and he said that he wasn't worried about it, but he did say, I think there are things that have happened over those 10 years that aren't going to read well. Ooh. Now, as far as this interview, about the memoir goes, it actually wasn't the only story she did address for the first time. Lisa actually also said that she is a survivor of sexual assault and it was a really candid admission from her. She said the assault happened when she was 15 and so there is absolutely no doubt that when this book comes out on October 27, Lisa will be sharing every part of her broad-ranging story. So incredible stuff. I, I cannot wait to read it. I will be buying this memoir. Will you buy it? Oh, for sure. I can't wait. I cannot wait. My second story, Kim Kardashian roasts her family as SNL host. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. This was epic. I love Kim Kardashian now even more than what I did last week, which was already a lot. I'm a big (laughs) Kim K fan. She killed this. Let's play a snippet from her role on SNL, Zara, so people can get a bit of a taste. I'm excited to be here tonight to show you guys that I'm so much more than just a pretty face. And good hair, and great makeup, and amazing boobs, and a perfect butt. Basically, I'm just so much more than that reference photo my sister showed their plastic surgeons. But the one thing I'm really proud of is that no one could ever call me a gold digger. Honestly, I'm not even sure how you become one. So I asked my mom's boyfriend, Corey. Yeah, so this was actually Kim Kardashian's first time hosting the show. So she did that monologue. That was a snippet from the monologue that we just played you. But she also appeared in a bunch of sketches. One was a parody of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. One, she also played Judge Courtney Kardashian in The People's <laughs> Court. At one point, she even switched lines with AD Bryan. And then Chris Jenner and sister Chloe Kardashian popped up in a couple of sketches too. Now, I agree with you. She kind of must have turned to the writers and said, everything's on the table here, like, go for your life. She even made jokes about Kanye. Yes. She was joking about her divorce with Kanye. Like, this was a very generous hosting gig because it felt like we got a lot. And I think that if you are going to do SNL, you've kind of got to do it properly, which I imagine she must have known when she signed on. One of my favourite parts about this, though, is that she roasted every single member of her family almost (laughs) and got all the credit for it. So they basically got run over by a truck. She was driving the truck and everyone's cheering Kim in the driver's (laughs) seat. But I was like, power to her. My favourite part, like we've spoken a lot this year on Shameless about Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker and how they are very into PDA. Kim recreating the PDA that they do together and the, the baby talk that they do to each other was Gold. I reckon that was my favourite piece from the entire show. Yeah, it was really, really wonderful. An interesting tidbit as well is that Kanye travelled to New York to support Kim for the show. He also reportedly helped her prepare as well. So they seem like they are as amicable as ever. As you said, Mish, generally, very generally, she was incredibly well received after hosting. I mean, the hashtag KK1SNL was trending on Twitter. And I want to know your opinion on this because I am not maybe as big of a Kim Kardashian fan as you. I I quite like her generally, though, Mm. in a general sense. But I wasn't surprised that she did well. And I haven't watched heaps of stuff on her in Keeping Up With The Kardashians or whatever. But from all my readings and watchings of her, she has a personality. And I wonder if people who watch this are people who've really not consumed much of her beyond reporting of her and are surprised that she could take the piss out of herself. Well, speaking as a Kardashian (laughs) fan, I think it's relief for the people who have known that about her and have loved her for a long time. Like it's a relief that she killed this because I'm pretty sure her fans always knew that she had the potential to. I think it's a surprise for other people who maybe haven't seen this side of her, but she's incredibly good in front of a camera. There were some moments as well where she was trying to like stifle laughter because the skit was so funny and she couldn't keep it together. I I love that actually when someone's kind of cracking a joke and then laughing and trying to stifle their own laughter (laughs) at their own joke. I mean, there was this headline from BuzzFeed that said, here's how Kim Kardashian's SNL hosting debut and jokes about her sex tape, OJ Simpson and divorce from Kanye transformed her public persona. 
That feels a tiny bit dramatic for mine. Yeah, I don't think it's that intense. I think Vulture got it more right. They wrote KKW is a great sport. And I think that's the real crux of this, that she's willing to poke fun at herself and her family. And that's incredibly, incredibly likable. Before we move on, I just need to bring up something that Zara, when I said this to Zara during the week, Zara was like, what are you talking about? That is a well-known fact. And I need to know from you, Annabelle is this a well-known fact? I was almost like, we cannot bring this up on the podcast. This is so well-known. Give it to me. Zara thinks it's embarrassing. But I, just <laughs> real. I had no idea that late night shows in the US air at 11.30 p.m. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in Australia, we have Rove. Well, we used to have Rove. We haven't had Rove in 20 years. <laughs> but Rove would air at like 9 p.m. And I was like, that's a late night. I did not realise even the weeknight late shows yes. air at Who was up at 11? It's, some of them are called the late late show. I just so realized as well. I was up at eleven yeah. literally last night watching an Amazon. You're the target market. Fuck. It's it's pretty central to their culture. I feel like their TV culture. Anyway, I am going to be really interested in your Safe Friday about yes. how many people knew this. Please, everybody, vote. I feel like people abstaining from voting are people that are saying yes, I knew that. So it might thwart the stats a bit. My third story. He has never met her, unfortunately. Owen Wilson's ex, Varuni Vongsarades, claims actor is not involved at all with his lookalike daughter Lila as she turns three. That is from the Daily Mail. Mish, I didn't know I was going to care about this, but I do. Yeah, this is a super quick one. We just clicked on this because, to be honest, we just found it super fascinating. The fact that Owen Wilson has still not met his only daughter, Lila, when she is now like a fully fledged human. She's three years old and he's never met her. Apparently, Owen and Varuni, the mother of Lila, dated on and off for four to five years from the year of 2014. So it's It's not as if this was like a one-night stand. Even then, there's no excuse to not meet your child and be in your child's life. This was not a one-night stand. This was a woman he was involved with for up to five years and he has just vanished and not been around for his kid at all. Yeah, it's a weird story, isn't it? So according to Varuni... Owen Wilson, who is now 52, has never had any contact with his child, but he does spend quite a significant amount of time with his two older children. He has two boys, Robert, who is 10, and Finn, who is 7, and he had both of those boys with different mothers. And he, there are interviews that I've watched with him where he speaks very glowingly of his role as a father of both Robert and Finn. So the reason that we know that he hasn't seen her still is that Varuni posted a photo of Lila on social media to mark her third birthday. She does look a lot like Owen Wilson Mm. and I'm not usually one to look at a young child (laughs) and try to like pull out threads (laughs) where there aren't there, but she does look like him. So the Daily Mail must have reached out to Varuni and said, does Owen Wilson have a relationship with her? And she replied, he has never met her, unfortunately. I mean, this is not the first time that she's touched on this in 2019, speaking to the Daily Mail. She also said he helps financially, but it's never been about that. He actually initially underwent a paternity test in 2018 to prove that he is the father. So we do know he is the father of this child. Mm, yeah, it just doesn't make but sense. But he had doubts that he was the father? He must have. Yeah. I guess Strange. to ask for a paternity test. I just, Owen, you've let us down. There are, yeah, I'm trying to think of any reasonable excuse that would make sense. And to be honest, I'm coming up short. Yeah. My fourth. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. Though. My fourth story, have you been paying attention draws more younger viewers than Love Island Australia? That is is from TV Tonight. Who's watched? Who hasn't? Annabelle. I've watched it in the past. I'm not what currently you done watching. this week? <laughs> <laughs> you watched it, Sarah? I watched about half the episode. Yep, I watched the entire first episode, but I did not tune back in for episode two, which is saying a decent amount because I am a Love it Island It was bad. Stan. I'm sorry. It was bad. It wasn't as bad as 2020. Or was it 2019? I can't remember. I can't remember. The, the <laughs> pandemic has kind of screwed everything up. I'm pretty sure this show ran in 2018 originally, then 2019 where the production quality was on the ground. It was so bad. And then we had a break last year. It's back this year. I do think it was better than the last season that ran of Love Island Australia, but it was still a little bit too heavy on the trash for me. And I know it's a fine line. I think with Love Island Australia, you need to really meticulously curate your cast in that you have some cast members who are incredibly intelligent and well-spoken and others who do hit that more, I guess, relatable classic bogan australia aesthetic like we love that but we kind of need high and low content in the one show i worry that the show went a little bit too low like in the first episode we had contestants confusing 
geography with geometry. We had like a bunch of words that were used out of context, like a whole bunch of moments where as a viewer, I was cringing a little too much and kind of thinking, wow, I feel a little bit silly for watching this. Well, I turned to you and I said, I don't know if these moments are even genuine. Like, I don't know if these moments are concocted or genuine. You thought they were genuine. I just I just wasn't sure. Like, I was watching it with a sceptical eye, I think. But the whole thing just felt a bit awkward. Mm. Like, it did feel a little bit awkward. I mean, it debuted in its slot at 311,000, which was down on its 2019 launch of 456,000 viewers, Mish. Mm, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I'm going to try and stick with it. I know I didn't catch last night's episode. I'll probably binge episodes in a little slab every weekend. I know that the first episode can be the hardest one to kind of get across. They can come across as quite trashy, even on the UK version of the show. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm curious if you guys listening are watching Love Island this year. Just one thing before we move on. It is being filmed in Byron at the moment because of COVID border issues with Queensland. And I'm a bit concerned about the weather. 21 <laughs> scattered showers today in Byron Bay, 22 in thunderstorms. There's a lot are of Are you rain. on bomb right now? Yes. Clash is <laughs> on bomb. It's not very sexy bikini weather, is it? It's not at all. And my fifth story, <laughs> honestly, fuck this story. Megan Trainer and her husband installed toilets right next to each other. That is from Glamour Magazine. Michelle, <laughs> take it away. I love that the tone you used to read out that headline was like, please God, don't make me do this story when you were the one who forced me <laughs> to did. put this into the episode. I said to you, Zara, I do not want to do Show Megan me the trainers. receipts. We had it over the phone. Oh, of course we did. <laughs> I said to Zara, for the listeners, I said to Zara, I do not want to speak about Megan Trainer's toilet situation. And you said, no, we have to include this as a big story. There is no proof, so the listeners simply <laughs> will never know. So... Megan Trainer is married to Daryl Sabara. He's 30. He is, of course, best known for playing Junie Cortez, the redhead kid in Spy Kids. I love you said, of course, as if everyone knows that People fact. do know oh, that. Iconic. Absolutely oh, thank iconic. Thank you, Annabelle. <laughs> anyway, so she sat down on the Why Don't You Date Me podcast and said this. We just got a new house and we did construction. Nobody knows this. <laughs> But in our bathroom, there was one toilet and a lot of the time in the middle of the night when we're with the baby, we've got to pee at the same time. <laughs> like, really? So I was like, can we please have two toilets next to each other? <laughs> Couples who pee together stay together. Come on. This is so fucked. I don't even know if I want to say this. The first thought that came to my mind was like, do you really need two toilets next to each other? Couldn't you, like, one could just go in the sink or something if it's like... <laughs> All right, that is not me. I've got to take control back of this story. Anyway, so she said, and we've got two toilets sitting next to each other and we've only moved together twice. We, <laughs> we pee at the same time a lot. I'm sorry, but, like, what... I kind of want to just be silent and just let Zara carry the rest of the segment by herself. I don't know what's going on here. Why? And the thing is, is that... Megan is not lying. She's not telling a joke that we are missing the tone of. She has filmed from the <laughs> toilet and shown us the toilet immediately next to it so that they can have a couple of experience. They, they're so close together, Annabelle, they could hold hands <laughs> while they do but their that's stuff. that's what she says. She says she doesn't mind it because she misses him all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm done with this story. <laughs> I'm not done. We need to add one more thing. On Twitter, one of the top comments with hundreds of likes to it was, why are people freaking out about this? Lol, y'all really refuse to poop in front of your long-term partners? Yes, I do refuse. I, I refuse to feel like I'm the minority there. I refuse. Don't gaslight us like Sam why, Frost. Why the fuck is this a story? Why has she told us this? I'm done. That's all I've got for you. Thanks. Thank you, next bitch. We didn't hear from Adele for quite a while. It's been six years since the singer's last album and just as long since her last in-depth interview. This week, she came roaring back into the spotlight with two simultaneous covers and interviews with American and British Vogue. And now Adele is ready to talk about everything. Her highly publicised marriage and divorce, her relationship with alcohol, her tricky relationship with fame and the year when everything turned very, very bad. 
Zara, this felt like celebrity Christmas. What was your first impression? Where do you want to begin? I mean, the morning I woke up and saw both of these covers drop, I was just in heaven. Like both of the covers were incredibly iconic. It's really rare for Vogue to release the same celebrity on both their covers, British Vogue and US Vogue, in the same month. British Vogue actually came out with a statement that said this was the first time it had ever happened. That is not strictly true. I think it's the first time it's intentionally happened and they've worked together on this. I mean, apparently back in 2016, Rihanna was on the cover of both British and US Vogue in the same month, but only because one of the mags got wind that the other mag had her and pushed up their cover by a month. Ooh. So that's just the tea. Intra-mag rivalry. Exactly. But back to Adele, I think it is a really interesting exercise to see how both of these magazines attack this story separately. You know, the shoots were incredibly different. The profiles I felt, even though they covered similar ground, were pretty different too. Mm. And it was wonderful. I mean, Adele has spent the last sort of five to six years calling herself a recluse. She had not spoken to a journalist in six years, which is a pretty incredible feat for someone as famous as she is. Yeah. So she's currently doing all this publicity right now because she is about to release a new single in a day. If you're listening to this episode, the day it drops on Thursday, the 14th, this single drops on the 15th of October. So tomorrow, her fourth album is also due to be out in mid-November. It is titled 30. So this was kind of a side of Adele we haven't seen before. I feel like she's really retreated from the public eye and now she's back. She's ready to talk and she's ready to be famous again, which it was even a quote that she yeah. gave to the journalist. I loved that quote so much. She literally said, I've been telling all my friends I'm getting ready to be famous again. And it's like, gal, <laughs> you've always been famous to me. <laughs> but I think what I loved so much about both of these chats is there is something about Adele that does feel a little bit different to a lot of other celebrities in that there is real candor there and she feels very normal because she has no hesitation in explaining how complicated she feels about things, how cut up she feels about decisions that she's made, particularly when it comes to her marriage and her parenting. Like she, in many parts of both of these interviews, seemed a little bit tortured mm. by decisions that she'd made by trying to pursue her own happiness. And I felt there was something incredibly relatable about the way that she spoke about her own life. Yeah. I also found it fascinating that she kind of went on the record and corrected some incorrect tabloid reports that have been floating around about her. So I'm sure on this podcast, we have repeated an incorrect detail. It was widespread that Adele married her now ex-husband, Simon Konecki, back in 2016. But that was incorrect. She told Vogue UK, we got married when I was 30 and then I left. So apparently, really, they got married in 2018 and divorced or separated incredibly soon after. Yeah, and I think the reason that everybody thought that they were married is because she got up on stage in the 2017 Grammys and referred to him as her husband. Mm. So everybody was just like, great, they must be married. But she was like, no, we weren't married. I just referred to him as that because he was the father of my child. So it was really interesting. In the British Vogue interview, the journalist asked her, how long after you married did you end it? And she said, I'm not going to go into that detail. Remember, I am embarrassed. This is very embarrassing. It wasn't very long. Yeah, and this was a time in Adele's life, the year that she turned 30 where a lot of things seemed to kind of blow up. One of the visuals we were given was that she kind of bit off a grenade in her own life and exploded everything. She referred to the year of her turning 30 as Saturn return. It seems like she's very much into astrology yeah. and spirituality as well. Adele believes, subscribes to the belief that every person goes through a period of monumental change between the ages of 27 and 32 that sparks genuine upheaval in their life. She said that she'd seen her friends go through sudden return, go through this monumental change and swore that won't ever be me. And yet a few months after her birthday, it sounds like she made the very sudden 180 degree decision to leave her marriage. Yeah. And the marriage thing, I mean, I'm so intrigued by because she has said on the record that this new album is all about divorce. I mean, in her Instagram live the other day, someone was like, what's your album about? And she's like, divorce, babe, divorce. <laughs> no. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Adele, <laughs> sing us a song. <laughs> Go I, on then, bell tower rolling in the deep. <laughs> can you guys just let me quit while I'm ahead? Anyway. Divorce, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but... We reported and everybody reported earlier this year that when she divorced Simon Konecki that there was a clause in their divorce that she wasn't allowed to write 
breakup songs about their relationship. And I was like, well, we again all taken for a ride. Like, mm. has she been planting kind of stories that aren't really true to kind of throw the press off generally? Because she did admit in those pieces that the tabloids never get anything right and she just sits back and laughs. I have a theory about this. The way this was reported that Simon Konecki and Adele had this kind of animosity between them in the divorce. She wasn't allowed to speak on their relationship. That was so widespread and so confidently reported upon by publications that I really respect. I wonder if this was a bit of a PR master plan. I wonder if someone in Adele's team put that out there so that we all believe, oh, okay, well, we're not going to hear about Adele's personal life again, maybe a little bit disappointed that she's not going to be able to speak from the heart. And then all of a sudden, she's coming out with more candor than ever saying, you are about to get a piece of me that I've never shared with the world before. This is the most transparent, most honest I've ever been. And it feels like Christmas. I said, I feel like this is the biggest, most generous moment ever. And I wonder if that's because of the gap between what we were fed earlier this year and what we now know to be the truth. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the publicity strategy for this album hasn't been going on for years, but really ramped up at the start of this year. We know that she started dating Rich Rich Paul at the start of this year, right? (laughs) And she only deliberately dropped that wedding photo about two weeks ago. And we just started talking about her new love life. That story about the divorce proceedings was in February That story was probably planted then. Like they have been working towards this month of October and next month of November for months and it's pretty incredible to watch. I think obviously one of the quotes that was shared really, really, really widely was when Adele was talking about her body. Mm. As we know, her body has made news for a little while now and it was this quote that was shared really widely. My body's been objectified my entire career. It's not just now. I understand why it's a shock. I understand why some women especially were hurt. Visually, I represented a lot of women, but I am still the same person. She said the worst part of the entire thing of the the world's commentary on her weight loss was the most brutal conversations were being had by other women about my body. I was very fucking disappointed with that. That hurt my feelings. Yeah, really interesting conversations coming out about this because we shared this on our Instagram page and some listeners came back and said there are so many things that make Adele interesting why are we even talking about her body why is her body even up for discussion and I think to be clear we hardly touched on this on Shameless despite it being reported on again and again and again because we wanted Adele's voice if we're talking about someone's body we need that person to actually address it themselves otherwise it's not very appropriate to talk about And I think if we don't have conversations about this now that Adele has spoken about it, if we don't assess and analyse and address her quotes in vogue, how will our conversations about women's bodies ever progress forward? It's important that Adele was hurt. It's important that she was really disappointed by women in particular incessantly talking about her body. If we don't address that, we're never going to improve. Yeah, exactly. We have to talk about her comments about it. We don't have to talk about her body, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's no way we're ever going to get better if we're not addressing the hurt that she experienced. Another really interesting quote from British Vogue that she gave was, I needed to get addicted to something to get my mind right. It could have been knitting, but it wasn't. People are shocked because I didn't share my journey. They're used to people documenting everything on Instagram. And most people in my position were to get a big deal with a diet brand. I couldn't give a flying fuck. I did it for myself and not anyone else. So why would I ever share it? I don't find it fascinating. It's my body. Very interesting inclusion of the word addicted there to speak about exercise. And to give context, the way Adele was speaking, I needed to get addicted to exercise to get my mind right. That was juxtaposed with quotes about her relationship with alcohol, which I found really interesting. In US Vogue, she gave the parallel of watching Amy Winehouse die at the very embryonic stages of Adele's own career and added that she was worried that she would one day spiral out of control in the same way. She said, I've always had a very close relationship with alcohol. I was always very fascinated by alcohol. It's what kept my dad from me. So I always wanted to know what was so great about it. Sometimes I get frightened by the idea of where my life would have gone had I not gotten pregnant with Angelo. When the journalist said, so it anchored you, Adele responded, beyond. Simon and Angelo both saved me. There was a reason why Simon came into my life. Yeah, really incredible quotes, those ones. And again, very candid, like that parallel between watching Amy Winehouse and how she was treated by the press particularly would have been incredibly confronting for a young British artist Mm. growing up in the public eye. I mean, this feels very much like 
it's marking a new era for Adele. It feels like she's past the point of pain particularly, which is like really lovely to see. And I think for me, the reason I was so invested in both of these stories and so invested in her is because, and I think I said this maybe about Billie Eilish when we were talking about Billie Eilish, is she feels very much like human first, celebrity second. Mm. And I think most celebrities I kind of consider in the public eye, I consider them as celebrities first, human second, like I don't have as much insight. But with Adele, there was one story that she told and it was a really, really simple one, but she was said she was sitting outside the back of a house around a table drinking with two of her friends and it was sort of in the midst of that divorce. And she said to them, when will this stop hurting? And they were like it's going to take time. And I was like, even just like painting a scene like that, like how many girlfriends have I sat around with being like, how fucking long am I going to feel like this for? And it was just like a scene that I could put myself in. And I haven't heard many celebrities kind of tell me something like that where I'm like, oh yeah, that is exactly an experience that I've had too. Yeah. Adele is so potently likable. It's bordering on insane. Like the way she is so self-effacing, the way she is so down to earth, The way she manages to do these interviews and you confuse her for a friend or a person that you know and love instead of this like hundred millionaire celebrity who lives in LA. Like even that fact when we were reading this and they were talking about her Los Angeles mansion that she lives in, in this very like privately gated community. I was shocked because I imagined Adele living in an English cottage. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it was. I was exactly the same. I was like, "Wait, what are you doing in LA? Get out of here!" <laughs> She's so anti-LA, but it's part of the reason we love her. And even, like, even if she did buy into potentially dropping stories, like we have an unproven theory about, even if she does opt into celebrity culture and publicity and PR. There's something about it where I'm like, you seem so far above that I don't even care. Like you are my most loved celebrity and I don't even know why. Yeah, well, I think actually it's because she's made mistakes on the public record as well. Like she has Mm. made quite a few mistakes in the past. She's been honest about those mistakes. I don't think we see her as this kind of shiny thing that won't ever trip up. Like I think she's just very honest when she does and is just like, yeah, I really fucked up there and this is what I did wrong. And I think that for me, I appreciate maybe more than anything, but... Goodness, I can't wait for this single. I cannot wait for this album. I'm ready to cry. I'm ready. I'm ready to feel like I just went through a divorce, even though I'm engaged to get married. I'm ready for it all. I'm so excited. Guys, that is all we've got time for today. As always, if you want to support the show, Michelle, where should they go? You should go to our website. It's shamelessmediaco.com. You will find links to our back catalogue of scandal episodes. Some of you DM us every week and are like, do a scandal series on Elevator Gate between Beyonce and Jay-Z. And we have to go back and be like, we've actually done that. Go to our website. Same with Tom Cruise and Scientology. Jen, Brad and Ange. We have so many stories there and so many podcasts there that you can binge. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Ask Shameless. Zara, you and I, along with a roster of columnists, write advice columns, life advice columns every single week. So subscribe to that. And otherwise, just have a fab day, you fucking awesome humans. Annabelle, anything to add? Um, No. Actually, yes. Love you. Proud of you. Proud of what you're doing. (laughs) Drink your water. I'm getting out of it. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.